At CA Church, we exist to help all people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And there are five key areas that are fundamental to who we are. And what I want to talk about is spiritual formation. Now, I love talking about spiritual formation, but that's a problem. Because you can talk about spiritual formation, but not end up doing very much about it. You and I are called to grow spiritually. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means embracing and cultivating practices that clear space for you and I to grow up in Christ. It means cultivating a robust worldview to see the world through the lens of the life, death, and resurrection and implications of all this of Jesus Christ. It also means to be attentive to the voice of Jesus in our everyday ordinary moments, recognizing that Jesus is a lot more active in and around us than we realize. And so what we want to do as a church is we want to encourage all people to take spiritual growth seriously. There are a lot of people who, who have been at church for 25 years but have experienced maybe one year of spiritual growth. This is what we are called to do as Christians. As Colossians 2 teaches us we are to be rooted and established and to walk in Jesus. And so that's what we're gonna be focusing on as a church. And so my challenge to you is to uh, take spiritual growth seriously. And if you need help to know how to grow in your faith, well, that's what we exist as a church to help you do. Our lives will only make sense when they are in sync with the one who says, I am life. And so let us grow up in Christ together. Hello everyone, my name is David Wood, one of the pastors here. And if you've been around CA Church for a while, you know that our church exists to help all people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we're doing a vision series uh, over these next number of weeks. And in this vision series, we're focusing in on five areas, five areas that as a church, these areas are really, really important. And so a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mark talked about multiplication. And he says, you know, as a church, we always want to be thinking about multiplying, about how to reach more and more people for Jesus. Last week, Pastor Sam talked about presence, saying, you know, there's no point multiplying unless we are walking in the presence of Jesus, uh, practicing the presence of God. And so Sam walked us through, Pastor Sam walked us through that last week. Today, what I want to do is talk about formation. Um, and to do so, I want to look at a passage in Scripture and look at a passage found in the book of Colossians. Now, a little bit of background about the book of Colossians. It's written by a guy named Paul. And it's a letter that he wrote to a church in a place called Colossae. That is why it's called the book of Colossians. Now, why does Paul write this letter? Well, for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is that the church in Colossae was facing some pretty serious dangers. Uh, it was a church in danger. Now, here's the thing. Most churches throughout history face danger of some sort or another. And some of these dangers come from within. Some of the dangers come from without. In Colossae, the dangers came primarily from within. and. Um, what happened is that there's some people within the church that were attacking, were, um, were um, 
criticizing what the church held to be true, in particular about things of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And what happens is that the people in the church um, begin to be unmoored and they begin to have doubts and they begin to embrace ideas that, that sounded good, but in fact were false. And in fact, if they held these, these, uh, these wrong beliefs, it could actually be spiritually toxic. And so that's what we're gonna look at today as we talk about formation. So if you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter two. Uh, beginning in verse 6. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. We read, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circum circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Wow. Jesus, this is your word. We pray that you would speak to us today. Give us ears to hear what you have to say. Give us eyes to see and soften hard hearts so that we may receive from you and have the courage to respond to what you say to us today. That's our desire. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what we're going to do today is we're going to do two things. Two things. One is um, we're going to look at this passage. We're going to look at uh, four calls to action that Paul gives us, right? And then we're going to look at four implications of this. So four calls of action, four implications. And the four calls of action, uh, I hope you notice this, they all begin with the same letter. I was, I was very impressed with this, with myself. Um, it says uh, the four calls to action are one, we are to receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Two, we are to resist false ideas. Three, we are to recall who Jesus is. And four, remember who we were and now are. Now I recognize the last two R's are basically the same words, recall and remember, but hey, I tried. Um, so let's look at these four. The first one is this, receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul begins this section, what does he say? He says. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What does Paul mean when he, say, when he says, um, received Christ the Lord, just as you have received Christ the Lord? What does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean, you know, I've asked Jesus into my heart or I've asked Jesus to be my forever friend, some kind of individualist kind of idea that this is something that I just, 
receive on my own. What he means is that the Colossians had received the good news of who Jesus is, what he had done, and he had, and, and the Colossians had embraced this truth and their lives had been reoriented to the point where they were wanting to follow Jesus and his ways. And so part of spiritual formation is receiving what is true. Uh, and to learn this truth so well and to love it so much that we in turn will pass it on to others. And so the posture of the Christian, this is important. I've said this before, the posture of the Christian is never to say, you need to know this truth because if you don't know it, this is something I know and you ought to. It's, it's never looking down and telling somebody. The posture of the Christian is this, is we come alongside and we say, man, look how beautiful Jesus is. Is he not beautiful? Is, is, is he not life-changing? This is what I've learned. Let's learn about this together. That's the posture of the Christian life. And that's really important. And it also means that, that the truth of Jesus is not something that you simply understand and agree to, but it's something that you walk in. It's something that transforms your life. It is the story into which you and I are invited. It's huge, right? And so Paul gives us a picture of what this looks like. And what does he say? He says, well, we are to be uh, rooted and built up in him. Now, grammatically, it's interesting. Now, I don't know grammar that well, uh, but I did read about this. Um, the word rooted, to be rooted, is in the perfect tense. Now, what does that mean? Um, well, it implies a continuing, ongoing result that had been completed in the past. And so something that had taken place in the past, we are still experiencing this ongoing result of what had happened. And that's, what, that's the word that Paul uses. He talks about being rooted. And so because of what Jesus has done for us, and he's gonna explain more about what that is, you and I are grounded. Uh, we are rooted as a result. Now, man, oh man, do we need to hear this today? I mean, so many of us today, if, if you were to ask how you're feeling, a lot of people are feeling unmoored. Um, their lives are feeling fragmented or they're feeling uh, tossed this way and that way uh, by whatever idea that happens to come across their newsfeed. And I think in our culture, we long to be rooted. We long to be fixed into position and not to be shaken by all the stuff that's going on around us. And that's why Paul says, you know, he teaches the church that in Christ, you need to know that you are rooted. And then he says, and we are, um, we are to be rooted and built up in him. And I love Paul because Paul's like, metaphors, we can switch metaphors mid-sentence, why not? Uh, so he switches from a tree, you know, planted by streams of water, being deeply rooted to the metaphor of a building and being built up. Again, grammatically, it's kind of interesting. Um, the implication is that we are being built up is the idea that we are we are continually being constructed, that we are still being built, and we haven't, we're not quite there yet. Kind of like uh, our, our new building project, we're almost there. <laughs> so it's an ongoing building. Um, but it reminds us of two things in the Christian life. One 
is that the Christian life is not static. It's not like, oh, I asked Jesus into my life and then I'm good to go. No, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. We are called to grow. We are called to be built up in Christ. The second thing is that we are a work in progress and so we ought to be kind to one another. And when we see someone who's kind of a little bit annoying or when you're a little bit annoying, you, you, know, you realize, okay, we're still people in progress. We are still pilgrims on the way. We're still buildings being built and that's okay. The other thing that comes across is uh, what Paul says is that we are strengthened. Uh, we are established in the faith or strengthened in the faith just as you were taught. What does he mean by that? Well, what he's saying is that, well, actually it's an interesting question. What does it mean to be strengthened in the faith? Does he mean that because of our faith, our faith in Jesus, we are strengthened or when we look at all that's behind the faith, what the faith, the Christian faith teaches us, that strengthens us. Uh, it's probably a bit of both. Either way, either way, um, these eternal truths that need to be taught about who Jesus is and what he's done, not only will root us, not only will build us up, but it strengthens us when we are feeling weak. Anyone feeling weak these days? Now, all this means is that the best thing we can do for one another is to teach the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done, right? And then Paul says these interesting words. He says that we are to be abounding in thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving. And when you meditate on who God is and what he has done for us, our hearts are affected and they're filled with thankfulness. And I'll tell you, one of the key signs of spiritual formation, of being formed spiritually, of growing in your faith is this sense of thanksgiving. And I think the best antidote to a life of anxiety and fear is to cultivate a heart of thanksgiving. I'll tell you, the people that I see that are full of thanksgiving, there's something about them that really is appealing to me. I'm drawn to them. And I also look at my own life and I realize how much I complain. I'm always complaining. And here's the thing, when you're always complaining about things, it affects your heart and you, you, be, you take on a heart of complaint and it just becomes your default. You complain about everything. Uh, but Paul says, you know, no, part, part of growing in faith is to cultivate a heart of thanksgiving. And, and that's really important. So just to sum up, Paul says, we're rooted and built up in our faith. We've received Christ Jesus the Lord. We are overflowing with thanksgiving. And he says, when, when, when you're doing all these things, then, then you'll be able to identify and resist false ideas. And that's the second R, resist false ideas. Um, a couple things to point out. You know, Paul says, he goes, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. A couple things. Uh, Paul, he's not having a go at philosophy. It's not like philosophy per se is a problem. No. What he's doing is he's referring to ideas that sound good but are false. He's referring to ideas that are floating around that are opposed to the realities of Jesus Christ. So how do you spot these false ideas? Well, the, I think they usually frame themselves in this way. They usually frame themselves as Jesus and it's usually Jesus and. That seems to be the issue in, Colossian, in, in Colossae. Is, is like Jesus and, you know, circumcision. Jesus and following these festivals. The problem with Jesus and 
is that the and usually takes over Jesus. The and becomes the most important. And you see that, um, I mean, you see that around today where you have, you know, people say, you know, I believe, you know, we need to follow Jesus and social justice or Jesus and this or that political party or Jesus and spiritual warfare. Now these social justice, spiritual warfare, you know, the life of politics, these are all important things. But when you, when you link the gospel to Jesus and, the problem is, is the and takes over and Jesus kind of disappears. And so Paul says, be careful, be careful about these philosophies. These, these philosophies will deceive you and will take you captive. And that's why he, he describes these philosophies as being connected to, and it's a strange phrase, the elemental spirits of the world. And what does he mean by that? Well, I'm not really sure. It's, it, there's a lot of debate around that, but it looks like they're kind of like anti-God forces in this world that desire to, captive, uh, to take us captive, to deceive us, uh, that, that lead us towards focusing on things that really, they may be good things, but really distract us from the life that Jesus has for us. I think that's what Paul's getting at. So Paul says, watch out, watch out for these false ideas, which leads to the third point. We need to be reminded who Jesus is. We need to be reminded because then he says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head, um, who the head of all rule and authority. And so part of, I think part of our problem as Christians is that um, our God is too small. Paul reminds us just how big Jesus is. Um, he says, look what he says. He says, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus. Uh, Jesus is uniquely God's presence and his very self. And so since Christ is the fullness of God, the fullness of God is in Christ, um, and we are connected to him, we are in him, well, that means in Jesus, you and I can experience the fullness of life, the life that we were meant to live. And because we are in Christ, we're not to be deflated, overwhelmed, or overcome. Why? Because we are connected to the very author of reality, of life. And because of this, this is important, it means that no rule, no authority can go over Jesus's head. <laughs> Nobody can go over his head. Nobody can uh, make an, an appeal above Jesus. You cannot go above Jesus. We belong to him and nothing can change this. And, and I think that's why Paul talks about circumcision here. It kind of goes off on a, on a rabbit trail. And he talks about circumcision. And Paul is teaching the church that the males in Colossae, in the, in the church in Colossae, they don't need to be circumcised anymore. Uh, in order to be set apart as God's people. And to which I think most of the men in Colossae would have said, amen, Paul, thanks. Um, but here's the thing, a lot of people, so, well, some people in the church were saying, look, look, if you want to, if you want to be a Christian, you need, you need Jesus and circumcision. And Paul's teaching, no, no, true circumcision is not what you do to your body but it's whether or not you belong to Jesus and you're willing to walk in him, right? And willing to walk in, in, in truth. And that leads us to the fourth part of Paul's teaching is that we need to remember who we are and, or who we were and now are. Uh, so Paul says, he's just a reminding the church in Colossae, who were you? Who were you at one point? He says, well, frankly, you were dead. You were dead. He says you were dead. 
You're dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were dead. Um, you were dead spiritually. And I, I, I get that because, uh, you know, for many, many years I was dead spiritually. I remember um, I was talking about this this week. I was at, um, I went to York University uh, back in the day, back in the 80s. And I was an atheist. I remember hearing a lot of Christians talking about Jesus. And I'm like, oh, what a bunch of idiots. Who would possibly believe this? So I, was, I, was, I, was, I was dead to the reality of Jesus. I was dead to God's love. I was dead to his invitations. I was dead in my sins. I, I, was, I was doing all the things that I shouldn't be doing and not doing all the things that I really ought to have been doing. And Paul says all this, all this leads to spiritual death. And so Paul says, you guys got to remember, you were once dead. You were once dead, far away from God. But then God made you alive. God made you alive. He made us alive in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, we are awakened from our slumber, out of our ignorance, and um, he wakens us by making us conscious of our sins, of the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done, the things we hadn't done that we ought to have been doing, and then realizing that Jesus forgives us. And we read, it's an interesting thing, he says that Jesus said, we've been forgiven of all our trespasses, verse 14, by the canceling of the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What does he mean by that? This record of debt that stood against us. Well, it means that when you and I live for ourselves, when we live for ourselves, um, when we live our lives as if God does not exist or does not matter, what happens is we accrue a debt. We accrue um, an IOU that can never be paid off. And the penalty for an unpaid IOU, according to the Bible, is death. It, we are eternally cut off from the author of life. But what does God do with this debt, this debt that we cannot pay, this IOU? Well, he cancels it. He cancels it by having someone else pay the IOU. And that is his son, Jesus Christ, who pays it all and dies the death that we should have died, that Jesus stood in our place. And so part of receiving Jesus is we receive God's love, we receive his grace, we receive his forgiveness, and we recognize that in Christ we are no longer condemned. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Wow. And then we read something. This is really interesting. We read something quite mysterious and quite wondrous. Look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. That's a really interesting passage. What does Paul mean by this? Well, the image here is that of a Roman triumph. Uh, now, in the Roman Empire, if you're living in, like, let's say, the first century, what would happen is that in the Roman Empire, if there was this glorious battle that had been won by Rome, they would celebrate it. And they would celebrate it with a Roman triumph. And what would be a Roman triumph? It would be like a parade. And in the parade, you would have the emperor or you'd have the, the victorious general riding in a chariot, wearing a laurel wreath, this picture of victory. And not only would he be riding this chariot and everybody cheering, wow, way to go, you won this battle. What would happen is that chained to the back of the chariot, you would have the people, some of the leaders that he had defeated. And often they would be chained to the back of the chariot. They would be stripped naked 
and they would often have to carry the broken shards of like their swords or whatever. And when people saw just, you know, the people that had been defeated, well, that just brought greater glory to the victorious general. That's the image that Paul has here. Now, it's interesting. Let's think about this. Um, why does Paul use this image? Well, I think he's revealing to us something that's pretty powerful, pretty, pretty important, and it's the mystery of the cross. Because the Bible teaches us uh, that Jesus, Jesus Christ, that he was arrested in his, in, his, in his ministry. At the end of his ministry, he was arrested and he was taken captive. Um, we read that he was stripped down, that he was dragged through the city. He was nailed to a Roman cross and the charges against him were nailed on a sign just above his head. Now, in this whole process of crucifixion, in this whole process of humiliation, Paul is letting us in on a profound secret. And what is that secret? Well, it's namely this, that the ones who were really being stripped of their powers were actually the ones carrying out Jesus' death. The ones who are really being stripped of their powers were the ones who were actually carrying out Jesus' death. And God puts these forces of injustice and oppression onto public display by showing that they are utterly impotent in the face of God's love, power, and forgiveness. And so what seemed like a defeat in the cross, what seemed like a defeat was reversed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so through the cross, through the cross, God has triumphed over every power and authority that sets itself up against him. All the things that strut and swagger and threaten have been disarmed. They have been disarmed. They've been stripped of their dignity and their power. And they've been consigned to bring up the rear in Christ's triumphal procession. Now, in our world, we still see powers strutting and swaggering. <laughs> but here's the thing, this time will come to an end. It will come to an end. For when Jesus returns and history comes to an end, all things will be made right. And Jesus will return as the triumphant king. And they, I mean, this is the picture that Paul's giving us in this passage. Wow, I mean, it's a powerful picture. And it's a lot to take in. But what I wanna do is just look very quickly at, at some implications of this. Um, now, just in the same way I had four R's, right, for the, the call to action, the four implications begin with like a bunch of different letters because I'm not that clever to come up with the same letters. So here's the four things. One is this, what's our response to all that Paul has taught? One, cling to the cross. Cling to the cross always. There's a reason why we, have, we see crosses in churches. Uh, the church in Colossae knew about the meaning of the cross, but needed to be reminded. And I think same with us, we need to be reminded of the truth of the cross again and again and again, and not to wander away from the meaning of the cross. Because we live in a world that increasingly mocks, ridicules, and attempts to discredit the church. And so you and I, you and I, we need to be rooted in Christ. We need to be built up in him, established in him. This comes through teaching, through learning. That's why we need to take spiritual formation very seriously. And that's why 
you need to come to my classes or come to Alpha or come to some of the things that are going on in the life of this church. Because if you're not taking spiritual growth seriously, more than likely you will be catechized, your life will be shaped by Netflix and TikTok. And that's probably not a good formational journey. Um, I'm just saying. So we need to take this very seriously. Uh, that, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm teaching water from a deep well. I'm, I'm teaching this class on Tuesday nights um, because of a number of conversations that I've had with young people. And, I, I, and my encouragement to them is saying, look, don't walk away from your faith. Don't, if you want to go, if you want to plumb the deepest depths of art, science, politics, or whatever it happens to be, there's no deeper place to look than the Christian tradition. Because all these great questions of life have been discussed, have been talked about all throughout history, and that's what this class is all about. And we need to take this seriously. Secondly, second implication, know how to spot false beliefs. Remember when I said every church faces dangers? Well, I think the church today faces a lot of dangers. Uh, what are the dangers facing the church today? Well, lots. Let me just hit a, a couple of them. One, I think uh, the church is in danger of being overwhelmed by politics. Everything we talk about seems to be mediated through the language of politics. Now, there's a reason for this. I think when you live in a world with, that moves away from this idea of transcendent truth, transcendent values, agreed upon values, if, if nobody agrees upon anything, then the only language for interaction is the language of power. And the language of power is the language of politics. But it's driving me crazy. Everything is mediated through the language of politics. And I think we need to be careful of that because it infects and affects the church. Individualism is another problem. People say, you know, I have my will. I have my absolute unhindered freedom of choice. My will is supreme. My will is the highest value. Well, that's not really a biblical understanding. Yes, in Christ we have freedom, but we have freedom to choose the good. You don't have freedom to choose anything. You choose the good. How do you know what the good is? Well, you embark on spiritual formation. The other dangerous idea that I see floating around in the church is this idea that our bodies, our bodies are of secondary importance and really don't matter. So we can do whatever we want with our bodies in order to make them conform to this inner sense of self. One, that's not a biblical understanding of the body. The body matters in the Bible. And two, this, this idea that the bodies are secondary are, is destroying lives. Another one, and there's lots we can look at, is consumerism. This idea that the more we consume, the happier we'll, we will be. And um, that's one of the reasons why I love this new ministry center in our, in our new building when it opens. And it's a way to just give and give and give and saying it's not about what we consume, it's about what we give away. The heart of God is the heart that gives. And the last thing, actually, I only have three implications. <laughs> I had four, but I reduced it to three. Um, the third implication is this, we need to embrace our deliverance. And because of the cross, we have been delivered from the forces that used to define us. They used to rule over us. We've been delivered from this. So whenever somebody says to you, oh, you're such a, and they put you in a box, or you're such a this kind of person, they put you into a category. Uh, you respond by saying, yeah, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. Because I've been delivered from this kind of categorization. I'm delivered from that nonsense. In Christ, I am an adopted son or daughter of the Most High. 
I am deeply loved. I mean, I am, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And so not only have I been delivered from that nonsense of categorization, putting labels on people, I've been delivered to, delivered to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith, the one who is fully God, the one who nailed all my sins onto the cross once and for all, the one who defeated death and holds in contempt all the forces of the world that tear down and strut and swagger. We've been delivered to the one who loves you, who knows you better than you know yourself, and who desires to put you on the path of freedom. So brothers and sisters, um, our invitation today is to receive this truth and to walk in it. And formation at CA Church is vitally important. You and I need to take growth very seriously. Otherwise, seriously, we're just gonna be overwhelmed by this world. Only in Christ can we stand, can we be rooted, can we be built up, can we be established. Only in Christ can this happen. And when that happens, we live. Does that make sense? Well, let's, let's pray. Jesus, that is our desire. Our desire is to receive you and to be rooted in you and to be built up in you, to be established in you, to be overflowing with thanksgiving, to recognize that all the forces of this world, they do not have the final say, that you are fully God and in you there is life and only insofar as our lives are aligned to you will our lives work the way they're supposed to work. And so let us grow up in you. That's our desire. We commit our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.